Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The indictment, in my view, is a failed experiment in government abuse. This is abuse from the Department of Justice towards President Trump. That is different than whether or not we think, you think, I think, separately, individually, together, that Trump was wrong for things that took place leading up to January 6, 2021. Wrong the way he handled losing the election. Wrong for the way he questioned the election results, not necessarily questioning them in general. Wrong for things, the way he handled things that happened on that day. That stuff you can think and we can agree and disagree and that's fine. Calling it criminal is a whole different conversation now, isn't it? Calling it criminal, being able to meet that threshold, well, that's a whole different thing than, let's say, impeachment. My argument has been, time and again, uh, that this indictment looks like trying to get a redo on impeachment. We couldn't get them this way, so we'll try and get them that way. But that's not what our justice system is for. So it doesn't matter whether you like Trump. With all due respect, I don't actually care. What I care about is that we have a rule of law that gets followed. And it doesn't seem to me or many people who are laymen uh, that the indictment from the special counsel, Jack Smith, these four counts regarding January 6th are about the rule of law. It seems more about the rule of emotion. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Let me bring in William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Now, you... You've been doing a lot on this subject. And when this first broke, I reached out to you. You were traveling. I didn't get a chance uh, to talk to you. And it killed me, William. It just killed me. Uh, but you were on a on a, uh, a show yesterday where you asked the question, what is the crime? Now, you're a Cornell law professor. Uh, you run LegalInsurrection.com. The law is is a large part of your life and engaged in it. I have people like William Barr, the former attorney general, saying this, sir. Which is what Trump's attorneys are saying. And they're also saying that he was just exercising his First Amendment right here. Do you think that's a valid argument in your view? No, I really don't think that's a valid argument. Because, you know, as the indictment says, you know, he, he, they're, they're not attacking his First Amendment right. Uh, he can say whatever he wants. He can even lie. He can even tell people that... Uh, that uh, the the election was was stolen when he when he knew better. But uh, that does not protect you from entering into a conspiracy. All conspiracies involve speech and all fraud involves speech. So, uh, you know, free speech doesn't give you the right to engage in a fraudulent conspiracy. So if, if I listen to the attorney general, there, the former attorney general, He's kind of declaring this as it was a conspiracy. So he's saying, therefore, there is a crime. What say you, sir? Well, it has to be a conspiracy to commit a crime. I mean, people conspire all the time to do lawful things. They get together, they organize, have rallies, they do other things. So merely conspiring with other people is not a crime. It has to be a conspiracy to do a crime, to commit a crime. And that's what I'm wondering is, what is the crime here? Is the crime here contesting the election? That's not a crime. Is the crime here uh, doing what politicians do all the time, 
uh, lying about the facts of what happened leading up to an election, just like the Democrats still claim that the 2016 election was stolen because of Russian interference. There's no evidence for that. Uh, that's not a crime. Uh, was the crime trying to convince Mike Pence to do something that most people, and certainly I wrote long before January 6th, he had no right to do, which is to refuse to count the votes. But there's an argument there. So he's trying to convince an elected official to do something that's, you know, is that a crime? I, I'm not really sure if there was a conspiracy, what they were conspiring to do was a crime. It might have been wrong. It might have been something that goes against our norms. It right. might be something we object to. But that doesn't make it a crime. And, so and, and it's it's weird to be able to, to have to have a conversation about there being a difference in those things. And, and really, uh, the, the difference between the political world of impeachment and the legal world uh, that we're in with this indictment from uh, Jack Smith, the special counsel. But something you said on the show, and I had brought that up uh, talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor of LegalInsurrection.com, uh, that... You made, a, 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 I think, a fascinating observation that if the crime is in and of itself the riot and Donald Trump wasn't in the riot, again, you ask this, this unique question of what is the crime? The, the people on the political left will tell you that he instigated it, incited the insurrection, but that's not a part of the complaint from Jack Smith. That's right. I mean, the, the riot is mentioned actually fairly towards the end of the 45-page indictment. It's not the focus of the indictment. focus of the indictment are the interactions with people about selecting alternative or substitute slates of electors that they would then present to Congress. Uh, and, and so if the, the actual disruption of the congressional electoral count was the riot, and if the federal government had evidence that Donald Trump incited the riot as a legal matter, he incited the riot, then they should have charged him with that. And then you would at least have a factual connection to the disruption of, of Congress. But as we all know, no matter what Donald Trump had done prior to whatever that time was on January 6th, Congress was ready to vote and ready to count the electors. Nothing had been interfered with. The act that interfered with the counting was the riot. And that is the act they don't charge Donald Trump with inciting. And that's my whole problem with this complaint. Now, it's it's one of uh, Donald Trump's lawyers. And you'll forgive me. Her name has completely left my mind. Completely. Uh, she uh, made a statement. Uh, I think this was either yesterday or, or this morning. Uh, listen. Devin Archer goes to testify in front of the House. That was only after they failed to put him in jail prior to the fact. What happens the next day? The January 6th indictment that we're here for today. This is not a coincidence. This is election interference at its finest against the leading candidate right now for president for either party. Uh... Sometimes coincidence uh, isn't anything but coincidence, you know, to to paraphrase Freud, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Uh, so <laughs> is, is, it, is it your take 
that it is a coincidence, or could there be an argument made that the DOJ has a history of uh, putting forward the indictment when it is politically advantageous? Well, I, I, I think it's all of the above. Uh, you know, we are on a relatively tight timeline. You could make the argument that what DOJ was doing in District of Columbia was trying to beat Georgia to the punch. Now, prosecutors shouldn't be doing that, but that might have motivated the timing as much as anything. It might be that they had this master plan, or it might just be coincidence. I don't know. I don't think it at least in the Devin Archer case, I don't think they were motivated by taking the media spotlight off of him and the the lawyer, you just play the tape. They were not trying to arrest him prior to his testimony. That's just factually not true. So Uh, on on Devin Archer, there was no... Devin Archer. That that didn't take place. That's a a misconception in the media? Not just the... Well, you know, in the circles that we both run in media, yes, uh, on the Saturday before he was to testify... The because his appeals had been exhausted on the 25th of July, the prosecution wrote to the judge and said, now that his appeals are exhausted three days ago, um, please, you know, schedule at your convenience a date, you know, for his surrender. It was never arrest him before he testifies on Monday. Well, that's that's important. It's important to know that we be accurate. Okay, 100 percent, you know, and the and the politics aside, you know, but I don't know if the rollout of this indictment the day after he testified was a political strategy. My feeling is probably not. Uh, you know, people had been speculating for multiple days that the D.C. indictment's going to drop any day. Uh, and so my sense is it's probably coincidence. But I understand why people are suspicious because yeah. DOJ has politicized everything in the in the era of Trump dating back to the then director of the FBI, Comey, trying to set the new president up his first or second day in office by going to visit him unannounced to the the legal staff. Let me, so the FBI and the DOJ have very unclean hands. I understand why people are suspicious. And that part is true enough. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. And it's important, that conversation about Devin Archer, because, yes, we even have to keep, quote, unquote, our side uh, honest. And when we're misrepresenting something or, you know, we don't have the story straight and accidentally misrepresenting something, we need to correct that. So I appreciate you doing that. Now take me through uh, just uh, a comparison of indictments. The indictment regarding January 6th, these four counts, versus the indictment on the classified documents uh, from Mar-a-Lago. These are both uh, two sides of the same coin, as in there's no crime there? Or does one of these have any level of legs, in your opinion? Well, I've argued since last March, after the Bragg indictment, the Manhattan indictment, which I think is a completely frivolous indictment, is legally frivolous. Uh, and really a shameful that the real threat to Trump legally was the Florida case, was the documents case, because there were no stretches of legal theories there. I know some people defending Trump argue he had the right to take anything with him that he wanted. And the moment he took it with him, it was immediately declassified. I think that's very shaky legally. A judge will determine it and maybe an appeals court will determine it. But I don't think if it's true that he took the attack plans to uh, the U.S. attack plans for Iran with him, uh, there's no 
no law under which, no legal theory under which he had the right to take that. That wasn't a presidential record. It was an agency record. He didn't have the chance to take our nuclear codes with him if he did that. I'm not saying he did. So the notion that he could take anything he wanted with him, and he, I, I just don't buy it. So the Florida case is not on shaky legal ground. Now, maybe some of it is a stretch. Uh, I think they're going to have to prove the obstruction of justice. You're going to have to prove that if boxes were moved, that Trump was the one who instructed it and that he did it for the purpose of preventing the lawyers from reviewing them. So you'd have to prove that he knew in those boxes were documents the government wanted. So there, there's levels of proof there that, but in concept, it's a fairly understandable case that he had records, they were under subpoena, he didn't turn them back, that vi that violated multiple statutes, was also obstruction of, of justice. And I do think, look, I'm no friend of the DOJ here, right. but I think it, it people need to know, he has not been indicted in Florida for any record he took with him and gave back when they subpoenaed them. It's uh, only the records he didn't give back. Yeah, I am... Uh, Florida to me is a very different case. D.C., I think these are shaky legal grounds. I think, you know, the concept of, you know, deprivation of voter rights and that this was a fraud on the government. I think those are extremely shaky legally. Yeah. And in terms of the uh, obstruction of Congress, I've already said why they haven't pleaded that he did the actual obstruction, which was the riot. I, I am one of the people who believes that uh, if the president declassifies he declassifies if, if he takes it he takes it and there's no procedure other than the doing but i i was happy to hear you say and, and certainly i will defer to you on on the legal side of course but i was very happy to hear you say a judge will decide because that is exactly what's going to happen i assume that's going to be a supreme court decision sir but i want to bring you back to this case where president trump was just indicted those four counts president trump has uh, said that, and he put this out on Truth Social, that he wants the Supreme Court to intercede, uh, saying that this is election interference, what's going on, and there has to be an end put to it. I, I ask you, sir, while I've got about 60 seconds with you, the Supreme Court can jump in on a case that hasn't even been heard yet? No. I mean, there would have to be some legal mechanism to get it in front of the Supreme Court. I don't I think they would he would have to ask the judges in each case. And he did in Florida and got turned down the judges in each case to delay this until after the election. Once that's denied. Now, normally you can't appeal that. Normally you can't go to a, an appeals court of the Supreme Court and nitpick the trial timing or nitpick the evidence. So this would be extraordinary. But this is an extraordinary case. Would an appeals court and would the Supreme Court decide to get involved in what they normally would not get involved in? Uh, normally, you have to have a judgment. You have to have an appealable order. Scheduling orders are not appealable normally. But, you know, I think once he has asked all the judges to delay these things until after the election and they turn him down, he would then have to petition an appeals court and then the Supreme Court. I doubt they would get involved. I, I think that's a real long shot. But this is extraordinary that a presidential candidate, the likely nominee of a party in a presidential year, election year, is under these assault from multiple angles for events that took place long ago. You know, right. Manhattan took place seven years ago.
You know, uh, DC took place in 2020 in the very beginning of 2021. Why now? So I don't think the Supreme Court would get involved or an appeals court. But, you know, it, they may this may be the exception that proves the rule. Well, they didn't hear in the Supreme Court some of the cases regarding uh, the election like I believe they should have. So I would be surprised if they just jump in uh, here. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com. Always appreciate having you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. With all the talk of the Trump indictment, and please, it's important to discuss and what's going on and break down the legal, and that's why we have William Jacobson from Legal Insurrection. That's why we had John Malcolm uh, the other day from Heritage Foundation hear from legal experts and break down what's actually in this indictment and whether this indictment has value legally. Never mind how we view it in the court of public opinion. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. No matter how much we talk about this, It needs to be recognized that the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden bribery story is the biggest story in America. It's the biggest story in America. The potential here, the reason for the investigation, what we already know about how the Biden family lied to us about how Joe Biden was, uh, oh, he never spoke to his son about his overseas business dealings. We all know that's true. They attended dinners together. This was about showing off Joe to be able to get the money and access from Burisma and a host of others. This is a criminal enterprise because they were selling access to the then vice president of the United States and Lord only knows what was sold to Joe Biden as president. I know this is the biggest story in America Because this is uh, Alexi McCammond from the Washington Post on MSNBC letting you know there's nothing here. And to your point, it's not even just the moderate Republicans anymore. It's the far right folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is now conceding that it would be difficult to get many of her colleagues on board to actually move forward with an impeachment proceeding against President Biden. And, you know, you're exactly right, Jonathan. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, I often am wondering whether he cares about Republicans keeping the House in 2024, because so far he seems singularly focused on helping Donald Trump win the primary and get reelected. And as you just alluded to, there are something like 18 Republicans who hold seats in districts that Joe Biden won by healthy margins across the country. These extreme, really baseless claims that Joe Biden is corrupt is not going to work in districts like that. Baseless? Baseless claim? Devin Archer's testimony has been refuted by no one. And even though Devin Archer himself is kind of a scumbag, got his own legal issues, not a guy I want to take home or you want to take home to Meemaw, nobody is saying, well, I don't believe him. Everybody believes him because it's true. The idea that it's baseless is exactly what you would expect from a newspaper that believes democracy dies in darkness. That's why they're covering this story with such a plum. Oh, wait, hold on. They're not? They're not covering? They're not covering? Okay, they're not covering the story. My mistake. My mistake. That's how you know. It's one thing to disagree. The dismissiveness? Well, that's how you know. Not reporting on the laptop from hell? That's how you know. 
claiming it was Russian misinformation when it wasn't? That's how you know. The Hunter Biden, Joe Biden potential bribery is the biggest story in America, and nothing has taken me off that reality yet. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Trying to understand this economy is a very weird thing. And you're not the only one who finds it to be uh, this outrageously vexing and perplexing entity. Because we see the jobs numbers. We see inflation cooling. We see unemployment, I should say, coming down. And we're like, these should be good things. But the number very often doesn't tell what the number means. We utilize these numbers in very uh, headline kind of ways. We splash it up there on on news outlets and they splash it up there on radio and they give a four-second summation to it and then they move on to the next thing. And of course, politically, it gets utilized as it gets politically. But what does it mean when the the economy adds 187,000 jobs? By the way, ADP, they got it as wrong as wrong can be, which is exactly what they do way too often. Yet people buy into those numbers. 187,000 jobs, that's less than the expected 200,000 jobs. But the unemployment rate goes down and the average hourly earnings rose 0.4% for the month. We've talked about the credit crunch. We've talked about how difficult it is to get a loan. All of these things are happening. And then there's the question of whether or not we've even come back to square from the jobs lost from COVID. Politically, people will play with these numbers from now until the end of time. What I want to know, and I think what you want to know, is what the hell is happening out there? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I want to take a different tact, sir. I want to take a, 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 a different way of looking at this. And, and it's not that I don't want the honesty. I actually want to dig deeper. When you see 187,000 jobs for the month of July, and the estimate was 200,000, what does that signal to economists like yourself? Uh, Tony, okay, you, you said you want to do a deep dive, so I'm going to ignore your question, and I'm going to move you from the number of new jobs created to the unemployment rate, which dropped. I want to move to that because that is more interesting to me. The unemployment rate dropped which you would think is a good thing. But in this instance, it's not. The reason it's not is because there's two parts to the unemployment rate, the numerator and the denominator, back from your third grade math. And the problem is not enough people are entering the workforce. So we added very few jobs, Tony. This was, we, this was a miss on the number of jobs we added, but that's not the bigger picture. The bigger picture is not enough people entered the workforce. We're still 6 million jobs short The participation rate did not budge, Tony. People aren't entering the workforce. We have an expanding economy. We have immigrants, legal and illegal, but we don't have people entering the workforce. That's the bigger story in this report, Tony. Now, let me explain to you why that's weird. Because in our conversations, it is the desire of the Fed to bring the economy back into some kind of rational place. And that rational place involves uh, actually less jobs in getting the economy to bring that 
back into square because if we still have this labor market, if we still have people aggressively looking for jobs, the economy is still heating up and they don't want the economy to heat up. They want the economy to cool down. That That's the message that's been going on out there. That's been the message regarding Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve. Yet now that I see this and we see less jobs than were uh, anticipated, you're telling me that's still a bad thing. Square the circle. Well, okay, the circle needs to be squared, Tony, because I fight this battle all the time about what you just said, that everyone is told by media that they want to slow the economy down, that it's heating up. That's not true. They want the economy to grow, but they want it to grow not because of inflationary growth, but because of real growth. Real growth is you build two more cars rather than the car you have cost twice as much. That's what they mean by cooling it down. It's not that they don't want growth. They want more employment. They want more production and expansion. They just don't want it caused by inflation. And I know that's a tough concept for people to grasp because so they go back to the, well, they want to cool it down and they're happy when jobs drop. That's not true. They want to cool it down the right way, not the wrong way. Does that make things more confusing, I'm guessing? Well, because it is confusing. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, you're arguing that the right way is that we build two cars, not that one car is more expensive. But obviously, one car is more expensive as everything is more expensive. No matter where you go, those prices are still very high. But when we talk about jobs, as we're discussing this right now with the economy adding 187,000 jobs in July, fewer than the expectation of 200,000, when we talk about jobs, you make the argument, and it's an argument I accept, that Joe Biden screaming about the jobs he's created is not factual. It's a very dishonest statement to make because we're still 6 million. Is that under where we were pre-COVID or is that under some other set amount by the Bureau of Labor Statistics or other economists? It, it's under the, the trend line of where we've been for the last 20 years. We are now finally above the pre-pandemic. We finally, a few months ago, got above the January of 2020 employment numbers. But Tony, that assumes that we were flat and not growing for the last four years. That's just not true. Three years. The, the reality is that if you look at a trend line, which is the economy grows, jobs grow, people make more money, we have not yet dug ourselves out of the hole. Maybe that's a better analogy, Tony. Think of it as we dug ourselves a hole and we've made huge strides, but we're still not out of the hole. So now we ask ourselves about policy, policy that gets us out of the hole. We have discussed that Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, is in the business of trying to bring uh, the economy into some level of square by trying to bring down inflation. And then we have discussed how the Biden administration is working opposite Jerome Powell by engaging more and more spending in a series of ways that make it difficult for Jerome Powell to do his job. We have seen inflation, quote unquote, cooling last month, although I believe that might be temporary and not an ongoing thing. When you see 187,000 jobs, do economists like yourself see this as an economy that can, and an inflation rate that can further cool? Or is this something that is off to the side and isn't about that inflation overall economy conversation? 
it is about the, 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 the conversation with inflation, Tony, that this lower number is going to be seen as a good sign by the Fed. Again, not because they want the economy to shrink, but it tells them that there's lowering inflation. There's less people getting jobs, so there's lower inflation. But here's the risk. You talk about soft landing, hard landing. When you reduce the inflation rate, you run the risk of causing an inflation, or I mean a recession. So they're trying hard. Let's slow the economy from a heat standpoint, inflation standpoint. Let's not have a recession at the same time. That's what they're trying to do. I think Jerome Powell is doing a pretty decent job at the moment. I gave him an F for three years ago. I'll give him a B today. So now let's go over next steps. I looked at where the markets were going to be. I'm not staring at them right now. Don't even bother with them right now. Let's just uh, a generalized theory. With the jobs not being where they expected, being lower, I actually took it from that first part of our conversation. They want to slow down the economy. They've done it. And and Wall Street will be excited by this number. Is that what people should expect, that Wall Street will be excited by the idea that it didn't create that the economy did not create as many jobs? Um, the, the, the market will be happy, not because of the lack of job creation, but because of the indication that inflation is now lower and that this may cause the Fed to stop raising rates. Say that again. That's simple. The, the market will be happy. The market will be happy when they see this news because it indicates that inflation may be cooling and the Fed may stop raising rates. So that's why the market will be happy today. Correct. I absolutely wholeheartedly agree. But your entire conversation is that none of that is true. That the the indicators from today's numbers on jobs are not an indicator of where this economy is and not an indicator on where inflation might go. So why does the market act like this and say this and how how could it be possible that the American people don't get wholly confused by it all? Well, <laughs> first of all, they should be confused. I understand why they are. And we haven't even talked about the, the elephant in the room, which is the pandemic still. Um, but no, the, the, what the market sees is inflation and interest rates. What I see is deeper down in the report, and that is possible looming recession because the participation rate didn't change that people still aren't entering the workforce. So, and th- by the way, the market agrees with me. They just focus on the headline. I'm focused on focusing on paragraph two. Um, the, the idea of recession is something that we've talked about a lot. And I have said before, I, I mean, if you had asked me a year ago, I would have said we were in it. There it is. It's clear as, as day. How can anybody think uh, that, that this is all okay? No one buys in. You can't get anybody to really talk in any level of detail about recession. If only from just a a, a point of, of definition, two negative quarters of GDP, gross domestic product, get you a recession, that's not where we're at. So how does the market, in your view, see this on the horizon, see the possibility of this, and then totally ignore it with the market continuing to go up? Okay, they don't. Okay, you're talking about two different things: market going up and totally ignoring it. I can tell you they're not totally ignoring it because right now the the consensus probability is around fifty percent. 
So that means it's on the 50% bubble. So if good news comes out, it drops, you know, below 50% of bad news, it goes above. So the market is right on that bubble. So it's going to react to every little bit of news that comes out. Okay, so that's, that's a very clear indicator that the market is simply reacting minute to minute by small pieces of information. As far as this pandemic, you've got to keep in mind, Tony, that what's happening here is we are still benefiting from this huge recession that we were forced into in the pandemic. We are still, Biden should get up every day and thank God that we had the pandemic. Because if it weren't for that, he would have put us into a depression with his policies. And this pandemic, we're just, it's like post-World War II, Tony. Okay, this is something people can relate to. They learned it in school. We had this incredible economic boom after World War II because we forced ourselves into a consumer GDP recession depression during the World War and in the depression that preceded it. So we had this huge hole that come out of it was any policy would have been effective. That's what obstructs me about FDR. His policies didn't cause an economic boom. He just was coincidentally at the right place at the right time. Oh, so you don't give FDR uh, credit for that? No, not one little bit. Not one little bit do I give it to him. Just like I don't give Biden one little bit of credit of any economic good news we've had, he is lucky to be in the right place, and it's in spite of his policies that the economy has any sense of goodness. In your view, talking with Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, um, what is, is there an indicator that you're looking for, something specific, that makes you say, we're going to be all right, or something makes you say, man, are we screwed? You know what? Yes, there is, and it, it's confusing. You and I have been talking for, I guess, two or three weeks that it's confusing. The ISM PMI index has nine months in a row now declined. It came out again yesterday. It's down again. The manufacturing, the companies in this country are shrinking. Yet their service sector number, which usually is consistent, has expanded for a few months. So, Tony, I'm looking at this data, and I'm seeing contraction here, expansion. The same organization with two pieces of data that usually coincide are telling me opposite pictures. I, it's confusing. Is there something that you look at, one piece of information, where you're like, if X, then Y? Yes, the ISM PMI, the Institute for Supply Management Purchasing Managers Index. That is a real-time, and it has an incredibly good track record, and it tells me that the future doesn't look positive. But, Tony, I got to have to put the butt in there. This pandemic digging itself out of the pandemic is still helping everybody. We are still coming out of it. And this is causing massive confusion in the data. You know, Tony, I'm a, I'm a numbers nerd. The data is all confusing to me. It, it doesn't make sense. Up here, down there, it's, it's uh, just stop looking at data, I should tell everybody. Well, that's, uh, that's in and of itself its own issue. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I appreciate uh, the further breakdown. We've got more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Trump wants the Supreme Court to intercede. Well, I, I get his point, but I don't think that's the way it's going to work. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Man, this week calls for bourbon. Calls for bourbon in the greatest way. Drink responsibly. That's all I'm saying, people. 
he has asked uh, the Supreme Court to step in, saying, my political opponent has hit me with a barrage of weak lawsuits, including DAAG, meaning uh, District Attorney, Attorney General, and others, which require massive amounts of my time and money to adjudicate. Resources that would have gone into ads and rallies will now have to be spent fighting these radical left thugs in numerous courts throughout the country. I am leading in all polls, including against Crooked Joe, but this is not a level playing field. It is election interference, and the Supreme Court must intercede. Now, the questions of how would be a great one. Now, the other part of this, I think, is an interesting one, because it's something that people who have donated to Trump or considering donating to Trump may have to consider. Trump has used money he's gotten for the campaign to pay legal fees, right? That's been the story. And certainly, I find it gross when people utilize campaign funds for these outrageous personal purposes. When uh, you have Maxine Waters, the Democrat from California, who pays her daughter some outrageous money for, uh, what was it, campaign mailers and stuff like that, you know it's all a hustle. You know that. You're fully aware of it. And I find it gross. Is it the same way here? If Trump isn't saying, hey, I'm going to use this, some of this money for my legal fees, and yeah, I find it wrong. I find it ugly. But I think that the people who are donating to him now know that it could be used for legal fees. And you're like, well, isn't he a billionaire? And he's going to be like, look, if you don't want to help, you don't want to help. But if you give me money, I might use it for legal fees. I don't think the people now are surprised by that, to be honest. I think they'd be surprised if the Supreme Court stepped in because I'm not quite sure how they would step in. I only think that happens after the fact. Because I think they're really going to put Trump in jail. Of course they should. This is all madness. This indictment is awful. This is an ugly space and place for America right now. But these people haven't stopped being ugly, and why would I think they would stop? Whatever makes you think they'll stop. We'll get into that conversation on Monday, everyone. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Take care.